most of our adult life is spent at work. On average, we'll work 90,000 hours. Current data tells us that most people are disengaged or burnt out. It's not work's fault. It's our fault. And that means we can fix it. This is Rich, and it's time to revive your work. In our last podcast, we recognize that work as we know it is fundamentally broken. Data tells us that disengagement and burnout are at record levels. We discussed that the long-term solution requires addressing the root cause. And that root cause is our belief about work and our behavior at work. And a change in belief and behavior starts with new programming. This new programming could sound something like this. Work is about things more important than the work. Now, if that's true, if work is indeed about things more important than the work, what are those things? Well, there's three key principles. Work is about transforming you. Work is about supporting them. And work is about connecting us. In today's episode, we're going to focus on the first principle, transforming you. Let's start by breaking some old programming. If I were to ask you, who's the most important person in your work? There's a 99.99% chance that you would answer customers or clients or patients, residents, guests. Why is that? Why is it that 99.99% of the people would answer the same way to that question? Perhaps we've been programmed. Consider this, that early on in your career, somebody in authority, somebody in charge might have sat you down and said, by the way, in case you're wondering, the customer is the most important person in our work. And we thought, wow, that's cool. The customer is the most important person. Uh, that must be true. That, that person uh, in charge, they just told me that. So I'm going to take that programming and form a, a belief. And then from that belief, I'm going to behave appropriately. What if that wasn't the case? What if we adopted some new programming that could shift our current belief system? Programming that could sound like this. The most important person in your work is you. And it's always been you. And we're going to pause for a second here because a voice just screamed in the back of your mind. And that voice said, that guy just said that customers aren't important. And no, I did not. I did not say that. What I said is that you are the most important person in your work. Now, customers are vital to our work and our work success. Let's look at it a different way. Imagine you're on a plane. You're buckled in and the only thing between you and takeoff is the flight 
safety announcement. So the flight attendant says something like this. In the unlikely event that we will lose cabin pressure, an oxygen mask will descend from the overhead compartment. Grab it and immediately put it on the person next to you. What? They didn't say that? What? Oh, they said, they said, grab it and immediately place it on yourself. Wow. Now, we get the wisdom behind that, that that person gave us permission to make sure that we had what was necessary, that we have the oxygen required to be of service to those around us. We get that at 30,000 feet. The challenge is this, at sea level, most of the people we know, most of the clients we have are running around gasping for air. They're blue in the face because they spent days, weeks, months, and perhaps years making sure that other people had oxygen, that other people's needs were met at the expense of themselves. You see, the best thing you can do for your work, the best thing you can do for your customer is to make sure that you have oxygen first. Consider Jim Rohn, one of the forefathers of personal and professional development. He said, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. Initially, that sounds anti-establishment. Wait a second. You need to work harder on your job. No, no. Work harder on yourself. And if you do that, then your job is a beneficiary. Your customer is the beneficiary. Your coworkers, your team, your family, your friends. You get it? You are the most important person in your work. Now, let's talk about why we chose the word transformation instead of change. Think about January 1st. What are most Americans up to? They are embarking upon their New Year's resolution, which means they're joining the local gym, eating healthier foods, and changing any number of behaviors. Now, if you've been a gym member and you have seen the influx over the first 30 days of the year, you've noticed that your classes are packed or over full. You've noticed that the equipment you like, you can't get to. You've also learned to be patient that over time, by February 1st, most of the people who joined who are in your way will no longer be coming to the gym. That is change. Change is often short-lived because it's a battle of our human will. It's a battle to see how long I can force myself to do something until I can't do it anymore. Not so with transformation. With transformation, there is no going back. Think about the acorn and the oak tree. An acorn has everything necessary to become the oak tree already inside of itself. It only needs some soil, a little light, and some moisture, and then it will crack open and yield to becoming what it's intended to be. Now, the mighty oak can never return to the acorn. The butterfly can never return to the caterpillar. That is transformation. And that's what you're about. You're about growing and developing into the fullness of yourself, the self you're intended to be. And that's a one-way journey. So why work? Two reasons. That work is fertile soil for your transformation. 
One is time. We talked about that earlier, 90,000 hours. If I'm going to spend 90,000 hours somewhere, I better have something to show for it. And the second is challenges. Within our time at work, we are inevitably going to encounter some challenges. Now, another label we might use for challenges are problems. We're going to find problems at work. Some of those problems repeat themselves. Some of those problems don't seem to go away. We call those painful pattern problems. Now, those might be a person, could be a process, or could be a project. Any any one of those or all of those could show themselves at work as painful pattern problems. Your first job is to identify those. In other words, call them out. Now, right now, if you're like, well, I'm not sure I've got a person or process or project that's really irritating me or frustrating me or, or causing me stress on a regular basis. When this podcast is over, contact the person or the people who you spend time with each evening. They know. They've been listening. They know exactly what your painful pattern problems are at work. So, Once you identify at least one of those, how can that become part of your transformational journey? There's a four-step formula. Step one, take responsibility. Seth Godin says this, many people want more authority. You can get a lot done if you take more responsibility. You see, your transformational journey is not contingent upon waiting for someone else to give you authority. It's actually waiting for you to take responsibility, 100% responsibility for your growth and your development. And once you've taken responsibility, step two in our formula requires that you identify three potential traps, distractions, And that is the illusion that you are responsible for something or someone else outside of yourself. Two is blame. And three is excuses. Step three in our formula is mindset. Once you've taken responsibility, identified some traps, now it's a shift in mindset. Wayne Dyer says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Up to this point, we've called these challenges painful pattern problems. Again, a person, process, or project that over time causes you frustration, stress, anger, perhaps. Now it's time to shift, to change the lens in which you see these issues. Instead of calling them problems, see them as teachers. See them as tenacious teachers committed to your growth and development. They're actually not there to prevent you from growing. They're there as an opportunity to ensure you grow. Now, you're ready for step four in the formula, and that is courageous questions. Once you've identified one of your tenacious teachers, again, a person, process, or project, you've taken responsibility, you've let go of distractions and blame and excuses, Ask yourself these courageous questions. First, what's my role in this? Second, what might I do differently? And three, how can I grow from this? Here's an example. My oldest daughter, his name is Taylor. As she was 
approaching her teenage years, I was fairly certain, perhaps I was prideful, that she and I would not encounter typical parent-teenager conflict and confrontation that I've seen all around me. I was sure that we were protected from that because of the relationship we had built along the way. I was wrong. At 14, 15, it happened. We encountered daily conflict. We argued all the time. It didn't matter what I said. It was going to become uh, an argument. We were going to butt heads about it. There was a few people that I confided in that I was able to go to and tell them about Taylor and tell them about Taylor's habit of bringing chaos to our family, particularly throwing it at me. And over time, over months, one of these people had the courage to say to me, Rich, I've been listening to you. I understand that Taylor is a challenge for you right now. What's your role in this? I said, don't use my stuff on me. <laughs> this is stuff I teach. Are you, are you recommending that I actually apply it? And the answer was yes. And again, they asked me, what's your role in this? It took me a few moments until I realized that I think my role is that I have forgotten. I had forgotten what it was like to be so self-conscious. I had forgotten what it was like to be so uncertain and confused about who I am and who I'm becoming. I had lost touch with the idea that this part of the human journey was such a challenge that that Taylor's attacks really weren't at me at all. That those attacks that I took personally were really uh, her cry for help with for someone to talk to and someone to really express how challenging it was to be in this phase of life. I had forgotten. So what might I do differently? The answer to that was show compassion. In my remembering, I could be compassionate with her and to recognize that she was not attacking me, but she was simply looking for a safe place to speak her truth. And that would cause me not to be reactionary to her, but to be more caring and thoughtful. And the last question, how can I grow from this? That took a little longer to discover. And what I heard was this, Rich, along with being compassionate to Taylor, be more compassionate with yourself. You see, for most of my life, I have been uh, judgmental and harsh on myself. And I realized that my ability to be compassionate to others was contingent upon my ability to be compassionate to myself first. Now it's your turn to take full advantage of the transformational opportunity in the workplace. Identify a painful pattern problem. Take responsibility for your role in it. Identify the traps. Don't be distracted. Don't blame. Don't make excuses. Switch your mindset. See it as a tenacious teacher that's for you, not against you. And then finally, sit quietly and lovingly ask yourself the questions. What's my role in this? What might I do differently? And how can I grow from this? If you'd like to take advantage of additional weekly doses of encouragement, 
go ahead and visit reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. That's reviveyourwork.com backslash blog. We'll see you next week as we continue our conversation that transcends the blurred line between our professional and personal lives.